welcome to the Of The Earth Podcast. This is a place where we take time from our busy lives to remember the planet we're living on, the relations that support us, and our sense of belonging as children of this beautiful Earth. I'm your host, Mariana Rittenhouse. Simply put, I'm a woman who sees life where others don't and teach humans to do the same. I do this by leading tea ceremonies, teaching personal tea ritual, and mentoring women in their spiritual reawakening to the earth. I created the Of The Earth podcast to re-inspire your innate connection to Mother Nature, so you can find deeper meaning in life and truly remember why you're here. Because even if you don't believe it, you belong. You really do. Thank you so much for being, and thank you for being here. Let's dig into today's episode. Hello, loves. Welcome back to Of The Earth. I am very excited for today's episode because, drumroll please, it's my first interview episode and hopefully the first of many to come. I feel really committed to having conversations directly with you, but also, you may not know this, but I don't know everything. (laughs) And so sometimes I'm going to be bringing in a guest speaker so we can explore a topic that feels important to me. You know, maybe it's shown up in my work or in my life, and we can actually dig into it with someone who is an expert in that field. And so I am thrilled to share the first one with you today, especially because I knew this was going to happen before this podcast even came into existence. Long story short, I was enrolling for my year-long program, Earth Rising. And when I was sharing all the reasons why it's important to reconnect to the earth, a new one kept popping up and it was showing up quite strongly. And that was that our capacity to love is rooted in the earth, in her being. And so if we want to grow as loving humans, reconnection is key. And while this felt really true to me, I couldn't quite get into the mechanics of it. So mechanically speaking, I didn't know if it was actually true and I didn't really know how it was true. So I reached out to my friend who... I knew would definitely have the answer. And she was like, yes, 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 that's it. And I knew in that moment that when this podcast came into the world, this would be my first interview. So I'm so happy to share it with you today. Today's guest is none other than Alicia Tichel. She is a dear sister and powerful healer. Put quite simply, Alicia is a force. She is a force. She is a master of all things nervous system, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And what I really love and trust about her is that she holds knowledge and wisdom from so many different places. She's lived many lives. She was a professional dancer, which gives her so much wisdom and knowledge about the body. She was a tenured professor, which is so crazy given how young she is, (laughs) but this world gave her such a grounded, researched understanding of all that it is that she does. And so it's not just in the spiritual realm, but it's actually 
well-researched, and well-known. And she's also a spiritual guide, meaning she can really meet us exactly where we're at. She has so many paths to meet us at the point where our bodies and spirits come together. And that's really where so much of our healing happens. If I had to sum it up, I'd say that she's a mystic. She is a modern mystic and she walks a beautiful path of devotion to spirit in both the seen and unseen realms. So as I mentioned, today's topic is about our capacity to love and how that's rooted in the earth. And I cannot imagine a better person to share this conversation with. So I hope you enjoy and here we go. Hello, Alicia. Welcome to Of the Earth. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today for this new episode. Such an honor to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited. Yeah, I see you're drinking some tea too. I'm excited to talk to you about that later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I feel like today's conversation is going to be really fun for everyone since we have spent so much time over the past few years circling and contemplating life and contemplating the earth and contemplating how we should or how we can best live our humanity. And so we'll give everyone today a sneak peek behind the scenes. I love it. Let's do it. Yeah, great. So before I even introduce you, I would love to just root into your earth space and time. Where are you? What's happening in the ecosystem? Just so that we can ground everyone into this beloved planet we're on. Yeah. So I'm living right by the water, right on the bay um, outside of Panama City, Florida, um, in the Gulf Coast. And we're having extreme heat And we've just come out of some extreme other weather and (laughs) lots of wind and rain. Today, it's pretty stable. Um, I do live in a house on stilts, so (laughs) like very in the air here in my own ecosystem. And um, yeah, water and air is most of my chart. So we just do a little bit of earth around here. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) So how wavy is it? Are you right now are you back and forth not moving too much today the wind is pretty light but yeah on a stormy day you can kind of it's like being on a ship you can kind of get a good good a good wave going <laughs> that's incredible um here yeah. we have that a little bit with the wind in Colorado um mm. you know I I moved here from Florida And I grew up in places with typhoons and hurricanes. And when I was getting insurance for this house, they were like, oh, you need an extra wind insurance. And I was just like, what? I am fine. You know, like I grew up with typhoons. I'm good. And I think it was my first night in the house. The whole house was shaking. I had never experienced mountain wind before. And oh my gosh. Humbling, but I just always tell myself this house has been around for 40 years, so mm-hmm. it hasn't blown away yet. This isn't Kansas, right. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll totally. yeah. yeah. I really love extreme wind actually, I, th- I find it to be very invigorating. Oh, great! Yeah. That makes one of us. So here in Colorado, we are also getting really hot. It's been, um, there has been so much rain this year. I've barely had to even water my garden. And yet 
now I have to water my garden. <laughs> now I'm like forgetting and going back. I'm like, oh my God, the leaves have turned yellow, you know? And so mm-hmm. it's been really sweet. We we have so many flowers this year. We have so much that we usually like that would start going away in June. And here we are mm-hmm. mid-August and still getting to experience it. So it's really sweet, but it's getting hot. And at the same time, I can feel the turn to autumn. So yeah. I'm learning this year that no matter how much water we get, autumn is coming. <laughs> the circle <laughs> keeps turning. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah, it's kind it's of beautiful to trust that consistency though, isn't it? Totally. And and the best part about August here in Colorado is that it is peach season. Oh, and that's your favorite. My favorite, Colorado has the world's best peaches. So mm. I'm eating many a day and very happy. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So I would love to hear if you can share with the audience a little bit about you and your work. Who is Alicia? Yeah, so who is Alicia? That's a great question. So I am a priestess and a leader who focuses on the nervous system, really inviting other leaders into neuro wisdom as a pathway to leadership. And I love being an alchemist and a shapeshifter and um, working with the elements. And I'm multiracial, multicultural, multilineaged, and really work in a woven way with those different ancestral paths, but um, identify most of my priestessing through a Celtic indigeneity. Oh, beautiful. I love that. You and I have that in common that we are mutts and yes. <laughs> it's a good time to be a mutt. A lot, of people, a lot of people need those of us who can really, you know, feel the nuance of unbelonging in a way um, of yeah. really desperately yeah. wanting to belong and not quite knowing how to make it happen. Yeah. I feel like seeking home was something that was really like from the time I was a child was like part of my life. Like I was always like trying to find home mm-hmm. and my parents would always be like, no, this is your home. And I'm like, no, no, like the land, like where's my home? Um, and it's been part of what spurred me to start doing pilgrimages was like to go to find my homelands and just to feel what my body feels like in those different spaces and places. Yeah, it's so incredible when we find those moments. Um, I remember for me, I was just in Colombia leading a retreat in January. And mm. and I experienced it as well when I was in Venezuela last year. But because those are my ancestral lands, Venezuela, Colombia. Mm-hmm. And drinking tea there, which is this plant from my childhood in Hong Kong. And then being with people who speak English because the guests were speaking English. So I was like bilingual, like half Spanish, half English, drinking tea on my ancestral lands. And I had never, I was like, this is a sense of belonging that I've literally never experienced in my life. Like it's all coming together in a different way. And it's, I mean, it's incredible to start to just pick at what, that might feel like to like have a sense of it, it almost feels like a cocoon, you know, like, Oh, yeah. this is what it feels like to be nurtured by yeah. 
yeah like the spiritual level the earth realm um the emotional mm. the ancestral like just all of it coming together it really feels like just so secure feels secure yeah it, it does it, the the cells relax in a different way like i was just in the uk on the land where my ancestors my way back 10 generation ancestors would have been and it was so beautiful to be there to drum to practice to sing to move and I just, I've loved that land for so long and it's been part of my spiritual home, but like finding out that that was really where my ancestors were rooted has just like, it opened up the recognition of what my body was telling me mm. um, in a whole different way. So I think there's something so beautiful about finding those connections to our homelands that just, yeah, for me, it's, it is, it helps bring forward into a different visceral reality, like what it is to know yourself as the land and to know the land through your body. Yeah. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Do you, do you feel any connection here in North America where you've been raised to the land? You know, I don't actually, I find it very ungrounding for me in in the United States. I can get there a little bit if I'm in the backwoods of Tennessee or up in the mountains in North Carolina and Appalachia or my first ancestors of who moved here. But it's interesting because my Cherokee blood, you know, in many ways, it's still not safe here on this land. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel it's, it's hard to like sort of sing, let that blood sing because it's been so traumatized um, and so cut off. Mm. So yeah, it is interesting that there's often ways that even if I'm in, in somewhere like in Mexico or Colombia, like I have actually more access to that Native American blood there mm. than I do here in the United States. Yeah, totally. That's so yeah. fascinating. I feel like I have you know, now living in Colorado, this is the longest I've ever lived, even in a home, like even in my childhood, I've never lived in a house for five years, for more than five years before. And, you know, I think what really draws me here, I felt a connection to Colorado when I was young, we came to visit my mom's friend from Venezuela lived out in the mountains. And I had forgotten it about it until after I moved here and was like driving through the mountains, it all came back. But it was like, oh, I just love the way that people live here. And so for me, it was like really about the way seeing Mm -hmm. people go to their neighbors to get some eggs or some raw milk or, you know, and just seeing like how little we truly need. And of course, that was back in the 90s, early, you know, or mid 90s. So it wasn't of course, it's not necessarily fully like that anymore, but I was really attracted to the way out here. And then, and then where I live now, I think it's the mountain, Mm -hmm. the mountain that really anchors me into home. Yeah. Um, But everywhere that I'm from has mountains, you know, Hong Kong is an island of mountains. Venezuela has the Andes and so many mountains and, I feel when I moved to the U.S., I moved to Florida, and it took me years to understand that there were no mountains. Like, it didn't even occur to me that that was possible until we were driving to Georgia, and I saw a hill. Yeah. And I was like, 
<laughs> oh my God, <laughs> you know? And it was funny because how it would show up for me was I've never looked across land like this before. I would be in a high rise and just see flat land. And I was like, wow, I've never seen that before. <laughs> yeah. Out to the ocean. And so I think for me, the mountain, the sacred mountain has been something that I feel anchored here in. But then yeah. it's just so fascinating because it is such a foreign land, even the birds and the, um, <laughs> the animals, people are just like, wow, you're really excited about that deer. <laughs> you know? It's so basic here, but I'm like, no, it's just, I love it so much. So I feel, it feels fun as well to, to get to know, to get to know our relations as an adult. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. With that of a child. You've had yeah. that with the dolphins recently, you were telling me. I am crazy about the dolphins, but I'm also like that with butterflies and moths. Like I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, it's a moth. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's a miracle. <laughs> um, I just I love I love the way nature shows off and I love the way the animals dance for us and I just really appreciate it. And yeah, we have golden eagles here, which is the first time I've been able to live with that bird. And mm. cranes and a lot of different, yeah, a lot of different bird life, which is interesting. And yeah, the dolphins, every time I see a dolphin out my window, I'm like, oh, it's a dolphin. And being I able know. to canoe, ca- kayak with them and swim with them is just unbelievable. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I feel like we could just talk about animals all day long. I'm like, I have a caterpillar story. I have a great, uh, great heron story, <laughs> just like all from the last week. But <laughs> I did bring you on here because there's something I want to talk about. So just a lot of love to all of our relations that are showing up for us. Mm -hmm. Um, So good. Yeah. But I, what I really wanted to talk to you about, and I can't remember when this came in for me, it was sometime in the past few months. And this kind of like hypothesis came in for me around Mm -hmm. our capacity to love and our relationship to the earth. And sometimes Mm -hmm. these things will drop in. And I'm like, yeah, that's totally true, except I have no idea how or what makes that true, but I feel confident in that truth and in that knowing. And I was like, I bet Alicia knows how that's true. And so I wanted to have you on here so that we can talk about, like we can dig into it and see, is this true according to the nervous system, according to the work that you've done? Um, and what you see in your own journey and also with your clients when it comes to increasing capacity yeah. and really, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, but just creating security and safety, being in a human body, being a soul that's, that's inhabiting the human form in this lifetime. And so here it is, here it goes. My hypothesis <laughs> that our capacity to love is rooted in our capacity to give and receive love from the earth. Mm. And I'll share where I I can share quickly how I've felt this in my system, which was, you know, I moved out here to Colorado. I had a nervous breakdown. I lost my community. I was here really alone. Mm. 
But what I did have was this beautiful land and this home during my healing process. And I want to say a few years in, I was out walking on the land one day and I just stopped and I looked around and I was overcome with emotion, just flooded with emotion. And I realized, I was like, I don't think I've ever felt like anything has my back like this land, like this ecosystem. And what happened, and so it just brought me to tears. I'm feeling so grateful. And I realized, like, in those moments, it happens very often when I'm walking around the land, and I'll, and I'll go around, and my heart grows. You know, my heart grows and is just bursting. And what surprises me is that in those moments, I say to myself, wow, I didn't realize that I had this capacity to love. Mm -hmm. It's almost like I thought I could love something this much, but when I connect Mm -hmm. with this connection that I have to the earth here and with my ability now to really relate to the earth as a being that's as important as humans, I realize Mm -hmm. that it's what's actually leading the charge in my capacity to love. And it's from there that I can actually bring it to humans and love them more, receive love from them more, forgive them more, laugh with them more, all of that. It's like my, my attachment has to be from the earth first, or that's just what I've found. And I wanted to go, I I really, it's, it's such a beautiful thing to experience. I want to dig into it and I want to share it with people. Yeah. It's so beautiful to hear you talk about that and just such a simple way, but like deeply profound way to understand ourself as relationship, which would just be another word that we could use for regulation. It's relationship. It's the quality of relationship. And what I love about what you're saying is the way we learn to self-regulate, the way we learn to be with ourselves in relationship is through co-regulation or the relational field. And, and I don't know one person who doesn't have a distorted map of that with people. Mm-hmm. That we're, we don't get the opportunity to really be held safely and securely, most of us. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so... So that opportunity to remap that or have a new imprint from our relationship to the earth is essential to finding true safety in our body, finding true stability in our body. And not just from a way of like protection, but in the type of stability that says, flourish, my lovely, shine, my lovely, be yourself, be your brilliant um, blossoming self, right? And also that when you fall over, I'll catch you. And when it's time to shed, I will hold you and I will compost that. And this way that our relationship, what, what nature's mirroring to us, or, or maybe not even mirroring is maybe a better way to say is like illuminating for us <laughs> um, and inviting us into is what 
the relationship with our nervous system is meant to be. These cycles and spirals, these seasons of things, these opportunities for topographies to shift and capacities to change and to notice how we are at different elevations and in different seasons. And what is it when you're in a monsoon of grief that's different when you're in, you know, the height of the solstice, solar energy, and that being in relationship to our whole self is mirrored in how the earth is expressing her beauty and brilliance. And when we come into relationship with that, we're providing a map for our nervous system to learn to experience its wholeness. Mm, I love that. We're providing a map for our nervous system to learn to experience its wholeness. Wow. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you can you share a little bit just in case someone doesn't know what is the nervous system and yeah. what is the journey like i'd love to hear you break down like what the journey from getting from our average person here our average person in life mm-hmm. to this person who can be as you said in relationship in co-regulation with the earth Yeah. So our nervous system, we can think about it as the operating system of the human form. We can also think about it as the bridge between our biophysical, our emotional, and our energetic or our soul. It's this highway of information that moves in. We definitely could think in two directions, but it really moves in a multiplicity of directions if we bring into the the energetics kind of aspect. But if we think about it from more of our biophysical, it's moving energy and information from the brain to the body and from the body to the brain. And in its sending of signals and receiving of signals, it's operating to keep us alive, to keep us safe. And when we think about regulation as this thing that we can control, such as I'm going to manipulate myself into being calm or peaceful or non-reactive. We're often not taking into account that our nervous system is mainly made up of subconscious programs. Mm -hmm. And what happens is our nervous system reveals these programs, these places of coding or imprints through our personality. So our personality is a way we can experience what our nervous system is holding. And if we have learned to perform ourselves or mask ourselves, we actually are missing a deep relationship with ourself and a way to be able to really support what our nervous system is showing us. And, and, and then if we can't be with what our nervous system is showing us, we don't actually have the opportunity to regulate. So coming from that, which we would call the conditioned or the co-opt self, towards a person that really is open to experience the relational field and come into this deep co-regulation with self and nature would be someone who begins to take off the mask and to stop performing and to learn to move at tempo and rhythm that serves serves them Mm -hmm. and that isn't striving towards the validations, right? So all of those things that we know and we meet 
when we begin a spiritual journey or our self-growth journey, right? All of those are the beginning places. But what happens in our world is that we get stuck in the cycle. And something you I've heard you say is like, we don't, we, we don't need to get so addicted to our healing that we're just practicing. Like we need to heal so we can get on with the work. No, right. Yeah. And that place where it's, we're always just chasing the growth or we're chasing, yeah, the next information, like that's not actually taking it deep enough into our nervous system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the process then is towards why would I want to be in regulation, right? Why would I want to be in a deeper journey of regulation? And I think you put it beautifully, it grows our heart, right? And it's, it's, it's this place where we actually begin to come alive. So we get born and we get a certain amount of life because we were born. And then the rest of the journey is up to us. How alive will we become in this body? How much of our essence will inhabit this body? And how much will we create with the energy that we have with our life force? What will we leave as our imprint and our legacy? And that's where we get to take responsibility for it. And I think that without going on that journey of really learning to co-regulate with nature, with our soul, our higher self, with beauty, with pleasure, with brilliance, um, we actually can't fully come alive. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I mean, it's so it's so interesting to even think about what are these masks that we put on. And so it sounds like from what I'm hearing from you, being regulated with the earth is actually living your authentic self, being who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, one of the one of the most beautiful practices we can do is like just practice breathing with the earth like tapping into the fact that she is breathing and we are breathing and what is it? Or I love to, I love a practice that I love to do is to imagine that I could listen to her heartbeat. Yes. And that I could begin to match my heartbeat to her heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And it's like going back to the womb. It's like going back to this deep level of safety that it's like, no matter what the ancestral trauma that my body is carrying, when I connect the heartbeat of the mother and I'm able to find that rhythm in me, I can remember that no matter what my body is carrying, I in this moment am able to be safe. Mm -hmm. And I in this moment am able to choose healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm alive. I'm alive. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think about, I think about how in the womb, that's the baby's first. It's like why drumming is so, so important in human culture is the baby's first connection to life outside the womb is its mother's heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, <laughs> it's really fascinating. Um, it's really fascinating to think of that, even as you talk about, you know, breathing with the earth, it's like what connects us to all life. You know, it's like, like mm-hmm. we can look at it, we can listen to it as the heartbeat or we can look at it as the breath or whatever, but it's like this, this vibration or this frequency that 
while in humans and in animals, it might manifest through the breath and through the heartbeat that all beings have a manifestation of this mother, mother earth-based frequency that we're all kind of giving and receiving at the same time. Yeah. It's like how, how can my life be an expression of all life of every being's life? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we don't have to try that hard to get there. I think that's an important piece, you know, it really is. And I think, that, that remembrance that it's like to be alive is actually when we do that from that connection, that willingness to be the expression of all of life, like enough, <laughs> enough. Really? That is the enoughness that we're all chasing and distorting and driving ourselves crazy to get to. And it actually comes from simplifying and it comes from slowing and it comes from listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing too, is we don't have to have, I, what I find with humans, God bless us, is we really, it's like we get an imprint or, you know what, I might not even, I, you know, we live in a colonized world. So I, I'll, I like to think of it as our inner missionary, you know, we, we think, cause that was one of the justifications for colonization, right? Missionary. So some people they're like, who's your inner yes. colonist? I'm like, how about your inner missionary? Because I feel like we might get an imprint, we might get a template. And instead of allowing it to become a way of being, we immediately either pack it away and go on to the next through like this, mm-hmm. this way of domination of like, great, I got my Girl Scout badge, I'm moving on, getting the next one, accumulating as much as I can. Or instead of truly fully receiving it for ourselves, we try and give it away. We try and give it away too quickly. And so this might be a, how this might look is like you telling me this today and then me going and spending a couple days breathing. And then now, you know, monetizing that (laughs) essentially. And then then, then you have a 12 week certification on breathing with the earth. (laughs) Exactly. Trademark. Um, (laughs) And, um, and then, or, or on the other side, so that would be kind of the missionary route or on the other side, just being like, oh, I got it. And I know it. And I know everything there is to know about it. And we lose so much because actually, even though that's a regulative practice, and I'm curious your thoughts on this for me, I feel like it takes years to actually find regulation, like true regulation through these practices. Even when I was, even for me, like living on this land, it took years for me to actually finally get out there and be like, Oh shit, this place cares about me. I'm loved. Well, again, because exactly right. Because if we come back to the truth of what regulation is asking or showing its relationship. Mm -hmm. It takes time. It Mm -hmm. takes space, right? So what I see is that there's not a lot of actual true regulation happening in our practices, in the spiritual world, in the self-help growth world. What happens is we get good at practice. Mm -hmm. We master 
tools. We master practice. We get good at a craft. But we, but that craft, the same that happens every time appropriation happens is you divorce the practice from the essence. Hmm. It is the essence of the practice that matters, not the actual tools. All modalities, not all, most modalities are decent. Most modalities will do a good enough job. It's not about the modality. The modality isn't going to save you. We're out of right relationship with the earth and with our practices. We want to give all the power to the practice. Oh, I did my meditation. Good. Check, check. I'm a good person. Mm. I did my meditation so I can manifest the relationship, the job, the clients, the death. I'm not in actual relationship with myself, with the field that I'm tending. Right. So for me, um, so full disclosure, I stink at things like gardening. I am a beautiful, energetic, emotional gardener. However, like the fields that I get to plow and tend are the subtle anatomies, are the mystery spaces. And it's the same, even though I don't have my hands in physical dirt, I have my hands in the energetic dirts. And to, to craft a field of regulation is the same as it is to cultivate a garden in your backyard. It takes time. It takes tending and it is absolutely your relationship. It is knowing what is the timing to plant this, to cut this, to do all of these things. You can't get there in one season, right? Mm -hmm. And the time that you do the first full spiral, it's like, okay, now I'm ready to begin. And by the time you get through the second spiral, you're like, and now I know a tiny bit. And by the time you do the third spiral, you're like, now I'm really ready to begin, right? And so while most of the regulation is really simple, like pay attention, slow down, be with, welcome it you know all of these kind of aspects that we want to make really complicated because we want to make it about a practice mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what meditation practice you choose i mean choose one but it's, it's that's not the point the point is your relationship and what that practice is the vehicle into deeper knowing not mm-hmm. getting good at the practice we are a world right now we've got masterful practitioners and the world is not changing our society is not changing. We are not healing this shit, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not about getting good at practice. It's not about doubling down on our practice. It's about the quality of the relationship we have to ourself that is facilitated with a practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I right? just, yeah, I find I find it very similar. Like, well, first I can say one thing that I love is the first rule of permaculture is actually to just watch the land for a year. So to go around a full circle of seasons so that you can know where does the sun go? You know, people, they move somewhere, they build a garden and then they're like, oh shit, that, that doesn't work. That didn't make sense for this land. So the first things always, you know, observe and that builds relationship. And I love that. I like to think about that just in my life in general. Um, And I mean, I think the first year I had a garden, I didn't even harvest anything. I just wanted to see what happens. I put some seeds in. Right. How do I tend to them? What happens? Yeah. You know, and every year we get to learn more. Um, but yeah, when I think about this concept of I'm here to practice or I'm here to build relationship, like even if I took the word practice out of the mix at all mm-hmm. and I'm here to mm-hmm. be relationship and how do I be in relationship? I mean, I don't even know if anyone thinks about that at all when they're 
when they're looking for a practice, I feel like even in myself, I'm like, I just want to be good. If I think about like my early journey, it's like, I want to be good. I want to be cool. It seems trendy now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I, so many people good. their practice is based on what they like or don't like. I like meditation. So that's my practice. I don't like meditation. So that's not my practice rather than like, what does it, a meditation practice? Like who would need a meditation practice? Why right. would I need a meditation practice? What could this bring to me? Right. So we're so addicted by, we're so addicted to um, feeding our personality sugar and candy, which is the same way we make most of the choices in our life. Mm -hmm. So would you recommend that someone goes after a practice that they don't like or how, how necessarily, (laughs) I mean, I totally could be like a masochist about it. Like we should all do the things we hate because they have such meaning for us. But I don't think that's actually the point either. I don't think it's a problem to do practices we like. However, I think if that's how we're making all of the choices, we're missing it. So what I would say is start with whatever practice is available for you. Mm -hmm. And in that practice that's available to you, start observing yourself. Start noticing where are the gaps in your uh, your capacities? Where are the gaps in your abilities? Where are the gaps in your sensations? Where do you check out? And then perhaps it's getting connected to a teacher that can help you, guide you towards practices that would bolster the foundation in those places where you've got gaps. Mm-hmm. Also, perhaps there are practices, and this is maybe where we go, some modalities are more adaptive than others. Having a practice that you can use in a lot of different ways is really what's wisest, right? Which is why for me, breath work is so essential because I can focus the intention of the breath in a gazillion different ways. So if I'm needing to release something, I can focus the breath towards releasing. If I need to bring something in or attune to something, if I need to learn how to support myself or find safety. So having a practice that's adaptable is really wise as well, because then it's not about, again, the practice. My body can follow the muscle memory of the practice while my energy then is able to focus and direct the consciousness. Yeah, totally. I find that um, with tea as well. The other... Exactly. I, I did it the other week. I, I was just, gosh, I was overwhelmed. So much coming up. I was just, just this like ball of tension. And then one night I'm like, okay, let's go in. And I just chose the tea, set up the space, yeah. put on the right music and just let myself cry, let myself release yeah. and let this being of tea just soothe my heart. So more and more and more could come. And, um, yeah. you know, sometimes we show up and it's just, to be in relationship, literally to just show up, not because I need something, but to show up. And I, and I find that that creates a really powerful foundation for when I need to make a request for when I need a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So two things I want to say. So the the first one is circling back to like, should we choose practices we don't like? Um, And, but what I might add to that is, are we allowing ourselves to choose things that we might not be instantly great at. Mm. So while I might not say you have to force yourself towards something that doesn't, you don't like, or doesn't feel great for you. I do have a curiosity about where our perfectionism, where are some of these conditioned patterns that would keep us from doing things that would support us. 
because we don't feel like it's performative enough or that we're good at performing it enough. And I think that can be a place that we can lean into a little bit of softness and compassion and allowance. And just the reminding coming back into that right relationship, it doesn't matter if I'm a good meditator or it doesn't matter if I'm a good breather. It doesn't matter if I'm a good tea drinker. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. If I can remember, that's not the point. And then I can develop the second point I wanted to make is what you and I both talk about and what we practice in terms of having a long relationship with a practice is once that practice, I become entrained with it, I'm now in co-regulation with that practice. Mm. So that practice is actually helping to hold my field of support by my simple coming back to it over and over and over again, which means I get to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And like you said, be in those spaces where it's like, I really need to be held right now. And that support and that trust gets built over time because you've shown up at the tea table because I've shown up on my breathwork mat, right? Like over and over again. And I can just say, even in my two year journey with tea, like that relationship, is so fruitful, not because I demanded that tea do something for me. And that's why I started this practice or not because I wanted to perform it or any of those things, but because it became a space where I could sit and listen. Mm-hmm. And that listening over time lets me now hear deep things when I'm in practice. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel, you know, that part where you're saying, Oh, if I'm, if I'm not good at something, then I don't want to do it. Essentially what we're saying to ourselves underneath that is if I'm not good at something, then I'm not worthy of it. Because mm-hmm. if I'm in a practice that's to create space, to listen to myself, to know myself, to love myself, but I'm required to perform at a certain level. And if I can't meet that level, then I'm not good enough. I don't deserve my <sighs> own time. I mean, that's so yeah. painful. It's, it's so sad. And- like and then to breaks my heart to say that. I know. And yeah. then to keep reiterating that by going to another practice, another practice, another practice, mm-hmm. just finding mm-hmm. the thing. And I think what I, what I'm feeling underneath all of this is we need to be committed and correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but it feels like co-regulation requires commitment, requires oh, yeah. us to show up in the hard moments. I I think that's where I hold the bar for myself is this practice is great. I love it. I'm going to keep doing it. But the second it gets hard, the second I don't want to do it anymore, which for me with tea happens about every two years, you know, about every two years, I'm like, I'm a little bored. And, but I stick with it because she's my bestie, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's as simple Mm -hmm. as that. And this is what I do. And then there's always a deepening. It's like there's this boredom that comes in right before there's a deepening, right before we commit more. And we can't go yeah. get to those places. I, you know, the, the other thing that I'm kind of like tracking is where does the earth fit into this with all of our mm-hmm. practices? And I can see how it's like, okay, this is we as humans are not committed to the planet that we live on. We're not sitting here being like, how can I care for you? How can I love you? Um, And a lot of what I see in terms of earth care is quite, is performative. It's not this relationship. Um, And I, 
I have a strong point of view, many strong points of view, <laughs> one of which <laughs> is I don't care how practiced you are if it doesn't come back right. to the earth. Yeah. It has to come yeah, back to and I think, yeah, yeah, I love that. And I think for me, there was a time where I was so committed to practice um, and so committed to preaching about practice that, and, and what can I say about that? What I want to say is like, I wanted practice to be this thing that could do the transformation for us. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted it to be this place where we could um, get out of the mess of our life and get enough practice that it would just shift our life. I really wanted that. I was firmly committed to that. And I spent a lot of years <laughs> trying to get that to be the truth. And I have to just say it's not the truth. That mm-hmm. practice is the place where I practice to apply. Mm-hmm. And that honestly, the strongest practices are where I'm cross-fading so that I'm bringing in exactly what I'm experiencing. I'm not isolating my practice from what's really happening in my body what's really happening in my life. I'm bringing that into relationship, even with the practice. Mm -hmm. So meaning that those days that it's like, I'm in grief that I don't sort of sit and go, well, I can't cry while I'm doing yoga or I shouldn't, whatever sort of we impose upon ourselves. I think that there's a way we need to pay attention to the performance. That's not for anybody else. We're, we're, We're performing for ourselves by not allowing the practice to be the place of rest, even when it's a vigorous practice, but like this place of isolation where we go to like this ivory tower or this perfect temple and we do this thing and that it has to be related to the life. And I think that's where it comes back to the earth too, that if we attempt to just come into these lofty ideas about what we're going to do to save the earth or how we're going to, change everything about humanity, but we're not like making these micro choices. We're not kind of crossfading or interweaving it into what are you thinking about when you're driving your car? What are you thinking about when you choose this package or that package or all of these different ways that it's the, we can't just have the loftiness of it. It has to come down to these micro mundane every moment places And that's where practice is going to be the most powerful. And yes, I might need a formal place where I'm training for that and I'm building the muscles for that and I'm paying attention and I'm curious and I'm getting information. But if I can't apply it back to how I'm living, then it's a practice that's pointless. It's, it's, it doesn't change anything. Right. And I think that's what we're doing a lot with the theories about how we're going to save humanity or the earth is that we're, we're dissecting it from the actual reality that we're living in rather than practicing into what is already here. Yeah, I love that. Um, And, you know, I I really do want to give a shout out to the practices that we don't need trainings for. You know, you and I both lead trainings and practices, but just a little shout out for going for a walk. You know, I I feel that if you go for a walk outside every day for a year, it'll probably change your life. So just also yeah. <laughs> want to speak. It doesn't, it gets to be that simple. You're not, you probably won't be able to have a sexy Instagram post about it or put it as a training on your website, but 
it will, (laughs) but that's, you know, to your point, that's not what's important, even though our society has said that that's what's important. So, but yeah, as you're speaking, it's reminding me of this ceremony that we did in in my annual retreat in Colombia, where, you know, we, I, I, you know, I, I I won't give too many of the details because it was a sacred space, but essentially we did a meditation and we were guided through these different points in our lives where we got to reflect on what those points were like for us. Mm. And it was sad. It brought up a lot of grief, um, especially being, you know, from our, the society that's based in systems of oppression, especially for women. We're all women in this group. You know, it was sad to be like, wow, I wasn't as connected as I was would want to be. I wasn't cared for the way I would want to be. I wasn't in a society that has village or tribe or any of these things that I would have loved. And yeah. we're just feeling it. And, the, and in the end, um, we offered these, what came up for us in the meditation as, as our offering. And, you know, the, the people down there, they come from lineages who were not colonized. So when I'm there, it's very, it's interesting. It speaks to something ancestrally in me, but I do have a colonized mind. We all do. And it's very, it's very rare to come across people who don't on this planet. So I just want to name that first and foremost, we don't even know what it's like to not be colonized. Um, and I think that that's a really important thing to consider, especially for people who want to do decolonization work. It's like, we don't have, we don't know, like, I don't, we don't know. We, the foundations of of our brain were literally colonized from before we were born. So, um, so it's always interesting when I, you know, when I'm connecting with people in that way, cause I'm just like, wow, you're like saying something that I can't, like my brain cannot wrap my mind around it. But it, but it's similar because, you know, I really wanted there to be some offering that felt worthy of the earth, you know, like coming mm. through all of this grief, I wanted mm. a solution. I wanted something bigger than mm. my grief to offer. And they were yeah. just like, that's it. You did it. Good job. <laughs> so Right. And you know the the, the it is enough. It is enough to be alive in that moment, to fully feel, to be aware, to be present, to be willing to be with it. Like that is it. That's that is the it. offering. That's where it come. It's that like if we just for a second stopped trying to change ourselves and allowed ourselves yeah. to be ourselves, it is the deepest yeah. offering we can give back to our mother. And yeah. And we want it to be fixed. Like I, I, we have this, again, it's like our inner missionary. How do I save you? How do I save yeah. you? And yeah, so much of it that, how do I save us? Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I just said so much of it is just being. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just want to remind us that like that inner missionary that wants to save us is set into this orientation that it's not enough. It's not good enough. Mm -hmm. Right. That perception. And that's what creates the core wound in us. 
mm-hmm. right? It's not the actual event that we were abandoned or betrayed or rejected. It's not that. It's that that put into place the belief, the orientation, the focus towards my not enoughness. And then everything that folds from that, if we don't stay in the awareness that I'm coming from. So for me, like when I teach core wound work, we're not healing the wound. You're ne- I, I, I don't teach that we're ever going to get away from the wound, right? I teach that we learn to stay in the wound because that wound is actually where I learn to not have my orientation following that place of it's not enough. So if I'm actually willing to feel those places where I assume I've been rejected, that's my work. It's not to sort of come to the place of armored where I'm like, I don't care if they reject me or I'm never rejected. Actually, like, am I willing to sit in the possibility and the feeling and what that does to me and what that wants me to create and how I want to armor, how I want to fight and how I want to flee and where I get stuck and all those places. Like, can I actually just be in the experience of self right there? Mm-hmm. And the more that we're in that full experience of self, the less the reaction takes over and the more that that original self has the space and the orientation opens and we just become able to be in our own capacity of self, right? It's, there is no mastery when we're chasing something that's going to fix us or when we're worried that how we are or what we do is not enough, right? That's the commodity. That's, that's where it's been capitalized. That's where growth, which is essential and normal has been co-opted and distorted into an industry that feeds us our not enoughness. Yes. And it's free. It's free for us to take that back. And I'm not saying don't have teachers and do programs and I, you know, I'm let's go on every retreat possible. You know me, but <laughs> the point is not what we're doing, right? The point is not the trainings. The point is, are you able to be in the full experience Do you reject your own grief? Do you reject your own sadness? Do you reject your own happiness? Mm -hmm. Right? That's what we've been taught. Don't be too happy. Don't be too sad. Don't be too slow. Don't be too fast. Don't be, don't be, don't be, don't be, don't be. be. So make a lot of money. Makes a lot more money. (laughs) Make a lot of money. That's the only thing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, as you're speaking, I'm just feeling like, ah, yes, you know, to bring it back around, this is what, this is the key that the earth holds. Yeah. You are enough. Yeah. You yeah. are perfect as you are. Yeah. And, you know, we walk outside and we don't have the birds or the animals or the plants looking at us saying, you're being such a bad human right now. Why aren't you humaning better? <laughs> and so the earth and nature really holds this place where it's like, no, you're enough. And we don't even know what change means or like what growth <laughs> means or what you're wearing. Like, and we don't care. We're just here for you. Yeah. And when I feel, when I tap into that and when I truly feel that my love feels unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I think what's beautiful is like growth from nature's perspective is like, oh, you, you let go of your leaves. 
Totally. <laughs> You're beginning to decay, right? <laughs> Yay! So it's like, it's not this, it's not, it's not growth from the, the aspect of like, you know, those growth lines. It's like growth as just going through the changes of nature. Yeah right? Like that's what growth really is. It's like, oh, yay, you're in a grief season. Good, good job. Good job. You know, oh, you're in a blossoming season. Yay for you. That's beautiful. Like it gets to be, it all is worth celebrating, right? It's, you know, it's, it's none of it. None of it is for not like we, it, it matters. Like all of these emotions matter. And I just really, I really can't abide anymore. The teachings that say, that teach some kind of false idea of high vibey, um, positive malarkey that doesn't take into account the richness of the human experience as a tapestry of nature, as a landscape of a multifaceted topography. Like that's just for me, no longer allowed in my spaces that there is only one way to be. And I think one of the things that keeps all of our resistance rooted is that we're rejecting the truth of our own experience. Yeah. And we have choice. We get to choose what our, we get to choose how we live this life. We get to choose what we want to do as humans. Um, I think about this a lot when I'm, you know, I serve some tea ceremonies outside at Ponderosa tea house and we'll be on the deck and there will be all the beautiful noises, the wind and the trees, the birds singing. And all of a sudden, like an airplane goes by and you can feel everyone kind of like tense up. And the way that I have learned to sit with it is to just be like, ah, those are the human sounds. You know, the birds make mm. these sounds. The wind makes that sound. And the humans, we chose to make this sound, right? We chose and we make we a lot of different sounds, but we chose this airplane. And I'll never forget one day right. we were sitting out there having tea and someone walked into the forest and started playing a flute. And <laughs> it was so beautiful. And I was just like, the human sound, the human sound is so beautiful today. And it's just like, we get to choose which way we live. We get to be in all of it. Right. We get to experience yeah. what we want like there can't, there isn't judgment on both sides. You know, we get to be like, ah, this is my choice. And I want, how do I want to express myself? Yeah. 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 Even when it's not, even when we're not at our best, you know, but it's like, Mm. I'm not going to martyr myself. I'm going to be with the fullness of my experience right now. And so, Yeah, I love that. And the more that we're in that, the more that we can just trust ourselves and trust, you know, I think the more self-trust we have, the more we feel safe. Absolutely. Yeah. So Alicia, I want to ask you a little bit about this conversation. It's been great. Thank you so much. Um, Before we wrap up, I want to ask you a little bit about your tea practice. Cause as we've been speaking, I really feel like, yes, for me, my, the space that I create in my tea practice has really created a lot of what we were talking about, a space for me to be a space for me to have a hissy fit and get over it, a space for me to come in with all of my shit and just be, mm-hmm. and then get up and leave and then come back and do it again and experience myself 
Because when like I realize similar to what I was saying, if I'm walking down the, the street and the trees aren't judging me, it's the same thing in my tea bowl. The tea's not judging me. The tea's not giving me my thoughts. I'm giving me my thoughts. And it's become this space of radical self-responsibility for who yeah. I am. And through that process, I really fell in love with who I am. I used to really not like who I am or who I was. Yeah. And I really fell in, I got I got to know her and I realized yeah. she's she's pretty dope. So, you know, you yeah, have been cool. so practiced in all of these ways and I mean you are one of the most integrated spiritualists and academics, you know, scientists that I know. Um I would love to hear from you how how could tea make you better than the amazing person you are like how did this how did this practice and plant help you i really love tea the first time i sat with tea which was with you in person um and you served and you know so often the practice is about getting like doing the thing getting done like you know like do the running or do, you know, what there's, it just feels like there's this activeness in our, in a lot of our practices. And I was at a place in my life where things were crumbling and my marriage had ended and I was in this liminal space and I was really wanting just to be held and not practicing towards something. And so a lot of my other practices weren't serving me at that time. And I was basically just doing my breath work and um, I really wasn't even in an active meditation practice at that time. And I remember when I sat with tea, what it felt like was this place that I needed. It was, it created this space where my parasympathetic self, this radiant, slow pulsing self had all the space she needed to be because the practice was enough to hold the attention and the awareness, but there wasn't something to do. There wasn't something to figure out. There wasn't a technique. And that's changed a little bit since I've learned to serve tea and I am now trying to pay. And I'm always like crossed my hand over center, you know? So there's a little bit, so there's like, I'm also in a bit of a formal training too. Right. But then there's this times that I just sit and I'm just in, and, and with, with the experience so I think what tea really reminded me of and was a space that I think I am a sympathetic dominant system, meaning that I have more of my wild nature at the forefront. I'm a creator. I'm a, a doer, an activist. I'm, I've got 17 jobs and all of these things are really, that's normal for me. And so part of where I have to practice is how do I cultivate that parasympathetic side? And tea to me is one of the most beautiful parasympathetic sits. And I work with cacao as well. And I find those to be very different practices. And, and it's not just like, oh, I sit with a beverage. And so they're the same or the energies. It's like, there's something that's so nourishing for me about the tea practice. That was a space I'd never experienced that level of just being held with the mother, mm-hmm. being held in the womb of love, being witnessed by this water and this plant and just loved on. It was just, it transformed me and I just fell instantly in love Mm -hmm. um, 
with tea. And I'm so grateful to you for that experience that you led us through. And yeah, and in our call, I've been drinking my guide tea, mm-hmm. um, which has stayed with me as that kind of anchoring presence in practice. And I just find, again, the co-regulation that I have with tea has brought such nourishment and beauty to my life. Mm, beautiful. I love that. Yeah, the co-regulation, yeah. not just with nature, but I know for me personally, I feel that as someone who's also a doer um, and has been a really good doer, according to our society standards, um, right. <laughs> It's a place where I get to serve and receive myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get to do yeah. it just for me and I get to yeah. experience myself in both. I get to experience yeah. myself. I get to re- experience my gifts and I get to be giving them and receiving them. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of our practices don't have that receiving part. So that's again, why I love breath work as well, because the, the style of breath work that I do is you're, you're receiving your own energy and you're coming into your heart. And I think the same with, with tea is like a lot of our practices can still be so focused on the doing part and not the receiving part. Totally. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in those practices, I often feel my nervous system is dysregulated until I hit the mark. So like, let's say I'm meditating and my timer's for 30 minutes a lot of the first 30 minutes I'll be dysregulated. <laughs> and then once mm-hmm. I hit the 30 minutes, like once I do what I said I was going to do all of a sudden, I'm like, I could go all day. I'm great oh, now. Interesting. But there will be a yeah. space. There's something for me yeah. to achieve. I can be in this, you know, in this right. dysregulated space of just trying to prove something. And then once right. I hit it, I'm like, oh, now I'm good enough to, I'm worthy of receiving. So that's something I've had to work through a lot in a seated meditation practice that yeah, yeah has been a journey. Yeah. And it's just beautiful that you observe that and kind of stay with it and keep a pulse on it rather than chucking the practice completely or, you know, kind of focusing, stay, staying with that dysregulation as the story of like, oh, that's just how I regulate. That's just how I meditate. Right. But that curiosity about what is it about my achievement? I'm still getting to practice as I notice myself in meditation, trying to achieve this meditation. And again, that's where we're bringing it back to a relationship rather than being like, oh, I did a good practice or I'm good because I practiced. And it's like, totally (laughs) the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And And I truly believe that as humans, we get to be graceful. We get to have ease that you know, mm. when I, I'm not really f- in love with these types of practices that are just like, well, that's because you're a mess. So keep going. You know, I really think that in practice, we get to, to be mirrored how beautiful we are. Yes. Get to be mirrored yeah. to how incredible our being is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for me, the more that I return to as I returned closer and closer to my indigenous self and my innateness, the more that the practices return to their indigenous self. And so the less formal or formed my meditations are and the more it's about conscious contemplation or working with a specific energy. And so I think that 
again, remembering that forms are created for beginners because we get to begin there. But at some point we get to take the training wheels off and learn to be in the practice of life and the ceremony of life. Yes. Ooh, I love that so much. Thank you, Alicia. That actually feels like the perfect way for us to end. What a beautiful, yeah, we get to be in, we get to experience life. That's what we're here to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm, Beautiful. Well, Alicia, I could talk to you all day. (laughs) (laughs) We did it. Thank you so much for your beautiful insights today, your beautiful self, your beautiful being. I feel so grateful to have you as a sister in this life. And I'm excited for everyone who's listening today to get to experience some of that brilliance for themselves. Oh, thank you for having me on. And thank you for being one of my beloveds. And I just adore you. And I'm so grateful for you. (laughs) Thanks, Alicia. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode to stay tuned for future podcasts and new offerings sign up for my newsletter at marianarittenhouse.com and if this episode resonated with you i'd love to hear all about it you can reach me on instagram at mariana de la tierra that's of the earth in spanish oh and if you're ever in boulder colorado you should definitely join us for tea My students and I serve tea ceremonies two to three times a week at my home in the mountains, and we'd absolutely love to have you. You can see the schedule and sign up on the ceremony section of my website. I want to give special thanks to our beautiful Earth Mother and all of our relations for constantly inspiring me and this work. This beautiful podcast music was created by Castanea David Brown. As always, Thank you for being, and thank you for being here. Until next time.